I would just say there's one misperception of our veterans, and that is they are somehow damaged goods. Although if we tell our veterans enough that this is what's wrong with them, they may actually start believing it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Dead Reckoning Radio. On this episode, we had Thomas Schumann from Kill Zone and PV Abante. We talked about his military career and how he found himself teaching at the Naval Academy. He reminded us what it means to set goals, stay focused, and embrace the unknown. He had an interesting take on Homer's Odysseus and Achilles, and everything within the literature of war. We really enjoyed this episode. We hope you all enjoy. Hey, how's it going, man? How are we doing? Doing well, doing well. Doing well. Um, so, usually uh, beginning of the episode, we kind of you know we give you a brief intro, but uh, we'll kind of let you speak for yourself and um, just tell us you know who you are, uh, title, and and where you're from, and uh, how you grew up. Yeah, sure. Uh, Tom Schumann. I'm an infantry officer from the south side of Chicago. Uh, I don't really like this kind of stuff where you do these introductions um the midshipmen always ask me to come talk to them i'm teaching at the naval academy currently and you know every time an officer comes and gives you their long bio uh and tells you how great they are and where they started in 1997 and then when they're in <laughs> 2004 and then in 2007 and it's like you know i always think like cool story bro like but what's in it for me I don't care that you were great 10 years ago. I want to know what you have to offer me today. And uh, so I find that so many speakers spend so much time uh, talking about how great they were. And I'm not sure how that applies to me, uh, the member of the audience. So I always tell the mids, I'm a man of the people. I'll give you what you want. If you want me to give you my boring bio, I'll give it to you. But I think not very special. I'm generally very boring. I can talk about interesting people though, and we should do that. But if you wanted to talk about me, definitely we could do that. Um, you know, I try I just to, want like, to check your street creds, dude. I want to see, you know, what you put on your hot dog. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm from Chicago. No ketchup. Um, <laughs> so four peppers. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I say I have some shiny things on my chest, you know, when I'm wearing my uniform and what does that matter that 10 years ago I did something brave? You know, it's 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 2020, bud. You know, you, what 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 do you got for me today? And so, uh, where? Well, how did I grow up? I grew up on the south, south side of Chicago, single mom who's a cop. Um, grew up with a lot of chaos and a lot of trauma, and I think uh, that ultimately served me well in some capacities. Uh, it also didn't serve me well in some capacities, but I think when I found myself in uh combat and everything was entropy and everything was chaos and everything was trauma it was like oh i know this i know exactly like what you do in this situation this is uh where i've been living my whole life and so i found uh you know grew up south side of chicago playing sports typical typical kind of stuff a little bit of a nerd a little bit of a drifter between groups because i was hanging out the stoners the athletes the academics so i kind of floated around a little bit um did rotc in college didn't know a damn thing about the military uh just know that 9-11 happened and i wanted to do something about that and i knew that 
my mom worked her ass off and uh, she created opportunities for me that she could have never dreamed of for herself. And I thought that's pretty special. And so I should pay into something like that. And so didn't know anything about the Navy, didn't know anything about the Marine Corps. Quickly realized I saw the difference between the Navy midshipmen and the Marine midshipmen up there at Louisville, Chicago. And I said, I think I want to be like the Marine ones. Show up to TBS. I don't know anything about the Marine Corps still. Uh, I see the infantry officers, the non-infantry officers. And I thought back to at Officer Cant School, there's a staff sergeant, Skifo, who was an MP. And he would always tell us, uh, as an officer, you're just going to sit in the office. Like, what are you going to do? Like, And he just... And every day we would go into the back of the house and he would just tell us how we were basically going to be glorified admin clerks. <laughs> and I was like, well, what the hell am I doing here? This is, uh, but, uh, I thought if there's any way to maybe not do that, it might be in the infantry. And so, uh, got to IOC and it was everything I've, I, I, I couldn't say dreamed of because again, I'm so boot and so ignorant to the military at large. Like, you know, I still couldn't tell you what Marine Corps infantry was. I couldn't tell you what the other branches did. I, I, I was really, really ignorant. And, but when I got to IOC, I was like, yes, this is the way. And, uh, I, it, there was not enough Kool-Aid for me to drink. Uh, um, I was all in and there was a transformation from this boy to this wild animal that occurred there. And, but still up, it's, oh, still boot as they come. I, you know, my my saying is you're always a boot to someone. You're always a boot to Chesty Fuller. So, yes, I I really don't like the boot metric uh, at all because it's it's conveniently <laughs> applied. You're a boot if you didn't do, and then whoever's measuring you just did that thing, right? And so, like, yeah. you're only if you haven't deployed, you're a boot. If you haven't done two deployments you're a boot right it's always like the metric is whatever i just completed then whoever didn't do that thing is a boot so i think it's just fair to say that we're all boot to dan daly we're all boot to smelly butler we're all boot to jesse or like everybody's a boot so like let's just hell yeah uh but yes i was and am still a boot um but i showed up camp pendleton third battalion fifth marines Steel company first platoon reading with the old breed by eb sledge when i checked in and i thought this is badass and uh first night we show up out in the field get our gear and join the company out on a peck and uh i really don't like when people say living the dream i find it uh pretty (laughs) like like if if i if i'm I'm asking you you how you're doing if i'm asking you how you're doing tell me like you, if you say I'm just living the dream, like you might as well say just like go fuck yourself, right? It's like no, just it's like don't tell me living the dream, uh, especially you know, especially when the Lance Corporal says living the dream, sir. He's really saying like fuck you, sir, right? Uh, yep. So, uh, but I will say I was living the dream. I was living in San Clemente, Orange County, California, driving into work every day, thirty-five grunts, and it was like, well, what are we going to do today, Bullwinkle? It's like shoot machine guns. <laughs> What are we going to do tomorrow? Throw grenades. And uh, it was like, yeah, it couldn't, couldn't have been better. Uh, it was an, an absolute awesome workup between Bridgeport, going to Korea, going out to Tornado Palms, and then going out to Sangin, Um, which when I checked in, things were rough. Uh, the, they had just gotten back from a 31st Mew to Okinawa. All the seniors were all Fallujah vets. And so then all the other boots had missed the war. 
and been trained very hard by uh, these Iraq vets. And then they think they're going to 3-5, going to Operation Phantom Fury, get some, and no, you're going out to Okinawa. And so I kind of inherited a pretty disgruntled platoon. But uh, I will tell you that I think it's easier to be a combat time leader than a peacetime leader. And, and so when we found out on Christmas of 2009, that we were going to combat my life as a team commander immediately became much easier. I could Word. break there or yeah. uh, just kind of, I, I, yeah. I probably two more minutes to get us up to, up to date. I, uh, yeah, so, go ahead, I, Tyler. I've always, I find it kind of uh, funny because I was in a, a weird spot within my career where I caught, my unit's last deployment back in 2012, and that was like pretty much my first year there. So then my next two years, pretty much, after coming back from my deployment, and all those guys had left, and I was married, so I stayed there in that same unit, and all these guys had joined to go to war, pretty much. All were told they're not going to go. And so I had all these gung-ho guys that just got back from multiple deployments. And then transitioning into the new army where it's like, Yep, you'll probably never see war. Uh, better luck next time. And like those guys were studs, but just that kind of, I guess, disgruntledness and this kind of jaded view on the military uh, was always there. And I was always kind of that in-between stage of I got to see it and got to experience and then kind of got to sit on the back half of it and just know that we're kind of just in practice waiting to go into the game, knowing that it may or may not come. And I wasn't necessarily in a leadership position, but I didn't. Re- I I wasn't one of the average Joes either. So it was it was a weird uh, dichotomy, I guess. Yeah, it's why we all join. I mm-hmm. mean, and you want that rite of passage. You want to go to the Super Bowl. You know, Allen Iverson says, "What are we talking about practice, right?" Mm-hmm. No, like we want to. Everyone wants to go to the game and see it, what they're made of. And yep. but what it comes down to is. It's, chance and circumstance you know so many marines message me and say you know sir i i didn't get the chance and i feel terrible about it and i like you you did what you could do you know you can't start the war and uh but i understand that desire and and joseph campbell and the you know the hero's journey kind of talks about what what Mm -hmm. we as young men want to do we want to go out we want to leave our homeland we want to slay the dragon and we want to you know come home and that's and and traditionally throughout history men have had those opportunities where you leave the village you go do something and then you come back whether it's uh kill woolly mammoth or you know different tribes have kind of different rituals where you kind of go out you prove that you're a man and then you come back and for a lot of people that that kind of rite of passage has happened uh in war and so it's it's could you say we're lucky? Were we lucky that we got to go? Uh, you know, so that that's an interesting kind of way to think about it. We're lucky that we got to. I, I would say ultimately, yes, a hundred percent. I am grateful for the opportunities that I had in combat, but I undoubtedly my best and worst days uh, all happened on the battlefield, and so. Um, I got back from that second deployment. It was a heck of a deployment. Uh, we could definitely unpack that deployment a little bit, um, but there's plenty of, to talk about there. Uh, 
I wanted the next challenge. So what was the next challenge for me? Uh, I wanted to go recon. So I went and ran a screener. I think about 96 people screened that day. They took two people down a first recon. I was one of the last guys to come in. I had uh, really bad plantar fasciitis because I was training for the Marine Corps Marathon and I just got a cortisone shot. And I thought, well, there's no way uh, I'm getting selected. Uh, so the first guy they called was the guy who finished top CT wise for the day. And then the only other name they called that day was me. And I thought there must be an error. Uh, and it turns out they're like, well, your last PFT, you ran a 1635 three mile. We could see that you can run fast. We know that, you know, something must be going on today, but you had the best interview and, uh, that interview interview that was very intimidating there's a panel of recon officers and staff ncos asking like really tough questions like your snipers have inserted into a hide and staying in and they didn't wear their plates their side plates and you know side plates are a requirement for the directive what do you do do you have them break down out of their hide site and so or like hmm. you're you get back from a major field op and you don't have your mvds are, are you report your company commander you're all accounted for and then your platoon sergeant says hey sir we're missing a pair of mvgs i know right where they're at don't tell the boss if you tell the boss we're all gonna be deep shit just i'll get well i'll get these no one will ever know the difference what do you do and so hmm. to my advantage is i have i've been through a lot of these things and so i wasn't really kind of speaking theoretically it was like oh like what would i do in this firefight in this situation well i'll tell you what i did and, and so and it that, went okay. <laughs> uh, so I, I, it, I think that went well. Um, yeah. Recon didn't necessarily, the rest of Recon didn't necessarily go. I, I showed up at the perfect time. Uh, the, the battalion had just deployed, and so I was going to get all schooled out while they were deployed, and they were going to come back, and I was going to get a recon platoon. Uh, turns out they needed uh, one recon officer to go to Afghanistan to advise the Afghan. Uh, army the recon company out in Treknawa. i was the only guy back and so there i went uh so i ended up 18 months kind of on that individual augment um working up with an advisor team full of clowns a couple good guys uh these advisor teams there's just they pull the guys from random ass places and not people don't always send their best dudes to the mm -hmm. advisor teams uh so and i was the only operational guy really for the advisor team everybody else was like advising logistics or communications or intelligence i was the only really one of the only o3s out there and uh i did get to go to tacp school i got to become a jtac before i went and then uh you know the team that i replaced was one of the guys wasn't there he was a staff sergeant who had been shot the week before and the other guy that I replaced was also had been injured uh, and ended up receiving the silver star for his uh, actions on that deployment. So Tim, Tim Williams, absolute legend. So I'm going into, a, you know, my first seven month deployment was the most kinetic and lethal deployment that I Marine Battalion experienced in Afghanistan with 3-5. And I'm coming in on a second deployment replacing a dude who's been shot and the other dude who's up for the silver star for what he what he's been doing and so i was right back in it in trek uh hooking and jabbing leading afghan army recon and i was kind of a, a freelance free agent jtac not what i had 
hope to be doing as a recon uh, Marine, but that's what the, that's the cars I was dealt. I got back and I got pushed to BRC pretty quick after being deployed for a year, uh, overtrained in the kind of two months between when I got back. And where I was deployed, I was out in the middle of nowhere. I had no exercise equipment. I had nothing. Uh, So when I got back, I tried to kind of just do a ton of rough runs. And I showed up to basic reconnaissance course already, I think, with um, a pretty bad fractures in my foot. And within the first uh, couple of weeks, I had uh, four stretch fractures running out my foot. And then my foot was breaking horizontally across between the stretch fractures. So I showed back up to recon and no one, no one knew me. You know, I'd been gone, deployed, and then I come back and I'm on crutches. And, you know, Good every push, recon officer is like, yeah, they're like, every recon officer is like, oh, I was injured when I was in BRC. I was injured. And I was just telling me like how, how big of a pussy I was. And I was like, okay, <laughs> got it. Uh, <laughs> you are harder than me. My foot is broken in five places, but in his first phase. So, yeah. Um, so I got medically dropped and kind of ended that note. Didn't, so I don't, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a reconnaissance Marine. I served in first recon battalion right um and so but i uh i really did have a pleasure to work with some really really uh incredible caliber marines uh tim williams master jarvis uh to name a few um so i got to see uh matt Cleone, just the quality uh that and the professionalism of how they kind of approach their work is, is i always say like you know the midshipmen always want to know what's the difference between an infantry marine and a recon marine infantry marine gets off work orders dominoes starts drinking uh some kind of bush light gets on call of duty and starts swiping right on tinder like that is like the 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 immediate action drill for post work for your average infantry marine like your average recon marine like they've got to study their pubs because they're diapers and they're doing high altitude jumps and they're Mm -hmm. doing dives on rebreathers and by the way they got to show up and be the most fit guy in the platoon because are in the teams right because everybody is keeping each other really accountable Mm -hmm. and you can't just kind of show up average and so it's it's kind of a whole different mindset and approach and so i was just uh, yeah i was just talking to uh, a buddy at work actually maybe three or four days ago um and he was training to be a PJ prior to going into the fire service. And he was just asking a bunch of questions about going through any type of the selections. And he has buddies that are SEALs and recons and SF and all that stuff. And he knew that I knew a couple guys that are still in it and have gone through it. And, uh, and I've gone through selection myself and I was just reliving the glory days, but that was kind of what I eventually got to was, I miss the military. I miss the unit. I miss the places I've been. I, I kind of miss the job, but more than anything, I just miss being surrounded by that caliber of guy. Like even within the fire service, I thought it'd be a good transition, and and it's been pretty easy. But that caliber of a guy that knows what he wants is that focused on the job, that accountable to himself and everybody else, and then not only that, makes other people accountable, makes other people motivated, and then you're motivated. And then it's just like, it's just a cascade effect of just like greatness, like it's greatness and greatness and greatness and greatness. And so it's just like, 
when I was around those guys, I was the best version of myself. And then in turn, that just made them that much better. And then just made me that much better. And it's like that, that good, good old competition with one another. Uh, but like that, that, that just excellence is what I miss more than anything. And that, that, that determination and focus. Yeah. Iron sharpens iron. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think you won't, the, the reality is you won't find that outside of those kind of teams. Went to the School of Infantry. I ended up being the director of combat instructor school. Uh, that was a great gig out there uh, in Camp Pendleton. Then I, after three years at School of Infantry, uh, took, I, I'm the only person who ever volunteered for 29 Palms because I wanted to go to where the Special Purpose MAGTAF units were because they were the ones going to combat deployments. So I emailed the monitor. I said, hey, I want to order 29 Palms. 30 seconds later, you never hear back from the monitor quickly. 30 seconds later, he's like, Good, got your order, Seventh Marines. I'm like, perfect. Where am I going? He said three four. I said, okay, I don't know anything about three four. Sounds good. Call a couple of buddies. They go, yeah, three four just got stood back up. Three four is not in the special purpose MAGTAF rotation. They're not going to Sencom. You're going to Australia. So I called the monitor back. And I said, I think you got this mixed up. I said, I want to go to Twenty Nine Palms because I want to go to special purpose MAGTAF. And he said, you want to go to Twenty Nine Palms? You're going to Twenty Nine Palms, and you're going to three four. Okay. Uh, so there was that. Um, ended up deploying to Australia. My, my company got hooked up. Uh, we got sent to Queensland while the rest of the battalion stayed in Darwin. So if you know anything about Australia, Queensland is preferable to Darwin. And uh, I was the senior Marine in Queensland. You know, I was, and, and I was, and I essentially, uh, I was a maneuver unit for an Australian battalion for six months. And uh, that was really cool experience. While I was there, I, uh, I had a moment of reflection where I said, Hey idiot, when's the last time you read anything that wasn't like a uh, call sign chaos or a leadership book? Like, why don't you try to read a book like AP literature in high school? It's the last time you read anything that wasn't uh, that, you know, that wasn't, wasn't nonfiction. And so what, opened, what sparked that? Uh, uh, I don't know. I was hanging out with, smarter people while I was out there and I just knew that there I look back at high school I was at my peak. I peaked in high school. I was like very smart, very motivated, uh good kid. And but I had my mom was super strict with me as called cop, right? So I'd be hanging out with all the stoners and they'd be doing shrooms and smoking pot and getting blacked out. I would have one beer. Just a whole, I have a placeholder beer, right? So like people don't kind of come up to you all night and I would milk a bush light for the entire night. I come home. My mom's like, Thomas, let me smell your breath. You've been drinking. I'm like, mom, drinking implies like multiple drinks. I've had a single drink while all my other friends are literally on drugs and hammered. <laughs> I am not that, right? And, uh, and so she ran a very tight ship and I was a good kid. So I listened and um but then when i got to college i became a total clown just idiot moron every bad word you could say for just total jackass idiot is what i was and so four years of opportunity to develop myself to learn to get stronger to what no what did i do i hung out in my basement uh laundry room where we had a beer pong table set up and i listened to 
Kanye and hung out with four dudes and played Madden for four years and didn't go to class and and just an absolute idiot. Uh, $120,000 education. And what did I learn? Like how to call last up, like uh, just what a way. Um, It's the only time in your life where someone will say, Hey, here's four years to better yourself. And by the way, the government's paying for it. Like just go learn and get smart and shit. And I was like, yeah, no, how about I'm going to start a Madden franchise and I'm going to, uh, <laughs> and so, idea. uh, just, so yeah, so I, I just intellectually, I just got dumber, uh, you know, and I think I just kind of finally had that realization while I was in Australia. So I like Googled what are classic books to read. Charles Dickens came up, opened up great expectations, but great expectations. And I was like, oh, sh- shit, I like to read. And yes. uh, it just so happened. This is wild. I mean, a, a message. I don't read the our admins, the, the messages that the Marine Corps sends out about like, job opening and stuff, because I'm too much of an idiot to do that. But our adjutant sent out an email and said, hey, the Naval Academy is looking for someone to teach literature. And I was like, what's the Naval Academy? Um, first and foremost, I didn't really know anything about the Naval Academy. Uh, but I was like, I just read a book. So one book, I I'm qualified, right? Book, I probably, and yeah, now to show you how fucked up the Marine Corps is that that's, they're like, yeah, this idiot, let's bring I him think in. it's funny that, cause you, you were just, you just rattled off like all these opportunities. And I'm thinking as you're talking about different units that you were shooting for and deployments and things like that, and how like, that's kind of, it becomes like a language when you're in the military, like, you know, like when you're like boot boot, like recruiting station boot like meps boot you don't know shit about any of that but like you know as you start to talk to like you know di's drill sergeants whatever um you know people in units then you start to get a better idea of like where you want to go how you want to get there and all that stuff but like even knowing all of that then like you still like we're asking yourself those questions like you know what is the naval academy like because that wasn't even on the same wavelength as maybe most of that shit and and where where you got most of the other information. So I, I'm always a guy who shoots my shot and, you know, I just throw shit at the wall and just see what, what sticks. And, you know, I'm not an English major from undergrad. I, I felt like two fake majors equaled kind of one semi real major communication and poli side double major. Uh, again, I would say that I majored in how to be the biggest idiot asshole really is probably what should be on my certificate. <laughs> uh but uh on my degree so it wouldn't have mattered if i majored in english anyways in college because i didn't study and i'm not proud of that right i'm i'm actually i have very few regrets in life it is one of my greatest regrets that i did not take that opportunity uh more seriously you know i failed english and i uh while i was an undergrad and just either way still through my application through my hat in the ring comes down to who you know i knew someone at the naval academy i think if i had to guess that's probably why i got selected because i had to have the worst application um for anybody who applied to teach literature at the naval academy showed up to georgetown turns out that reading one charles dickens book does not qualify you to be (laughs) in georgetown's grad program and i found that out on the first day and uh Essentially, everyone was speaking a language, which was allegedly English. 
And it, none of the terms sounded familiar to me. And I'm like, wait, what the hell are we talking about here? So you had to go and, to a grad program prior to possibly teaching at the Naval Academy? Yep. Okay. So uh, after I got back from Australia, I, I ended up going from 29 Palms, 7th Marine Regiment, which is the pretty hardcore place, yeah. to Georgetown, which is, you cannot think of, you know, the, 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 I, the, dichotomy between georgetown and dc and 29 palm seventh marines there probably aren't two places that are more disparate than those two things and so i mean i was in the orientation and people are talking about what's their focus in literature like what mm-hmm. are they like that and they're like victorianism and ancient whatever and i'm like uh postmodern what i'm like what the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> and uh, like, what's your topic, Thomas? I'm like, I've read some books about war. Yeah. Like w- w- war literature. I'm like, yes, that's my thing. That's what I study. <laughs> yeah. So, so did you have to interview in order to get this or was it just uh, strictly based like a, like a creative writing essay or uh, an introduction no, essay? I, or, I had or to what? go through the regular applications. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a decent story with that. So the Naval Academy has relationships with the, some of the universities in the area, Georgetown being one, Maryland, um, George Mason, George Washington. And I, I remember the Maryland grad school department sent my chief of staff at the Naval Academy, the guy who's going to be my boss, an email and said, like, hey, did you send us the right guy's application? This guy failed English, and, and we don't. We aren't sure that he's. And by the way, I was supposed to write a twelve-page essay for the application. I found out applications were due on a Friday, or due on a Sunday, and I found out the Marine Corps told me on Friday, "Have all your grad school applications in in two days." And so I had to go take the GRE that day, which I did not do well because I did not do any preparation. And then I did all my app and it's like, and all the different schools had different kind of essays that they mm-hmm. wanted to write. So Maryland's like this guy, this 12 page essay, he wrote six pages and he has an F in English. <laughs> is this really, is this really who you're sending us? And my chief of staff ri- called me. His essay is written in crayon. <laughs> and uh, Colonel Weiss, my boss called me and said, Hey, are you going to, you gonna make it because they have a lot of doubt about you. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, I could do it. Uh, which, again, it's because I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I, I've been through some hard times, um, and hard times make hard people. And, uh, but I, I tell people, and like people really don't believe me. But the, the, I've never. Even though I stuck at swimming, and when I was at the bottom of the pool treading two bricks at recon, I always knew when I was at BRC, it's like, if you just kick harder, you'll, there will be air. Oxygen is up, up. You just have to kick harder. You know, when you're at IOC and you're in full mop gear and you're carrying 81's tube and you think you're going to pass out, it's like, well, how am I going to get through this? You're going to take another step. That's how you'll get yeah. through this. And when I'm in combat and I've got casualties and I've got on an L-shaped ambush, it's like, okay, well, I need to achieve fire superiority. I need to set 
fix and flank. I need to suppress, assess, move, kill. I need to get. And so, like, I always felt like I had the weapons to target. I, 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 I knew how to attack, you know, anything that I. But when I was, I was completing a two-year program in one year. So I immediately started my capstone project and we had to do a literary review was like the first big assignment. And yeah. I had spent two weeks working on this literary review and it was due the next morning. And I, I still hadn't started writing this 15 page literary review because I didn't know how to do a literary review. And I didn't know it said, we need you to synthesize uh critical essays and the critical scholarship around this uh topic and find out where do the where do the scholars and, and, and the critics uh converge on this idea where do they diverge on this idea and then make your argument in between i'm like i am trying to read this these these critical articles and i don't even know what the hell they're saying so how mm-hmm. am i supposed to say where they disagree and agree and where my and stake my own position in this and mm-hmm. so I remember I was walking around the Georgetown stack at the library and for the first time in my life, I, I was like, you are going to have to DOR. You, you, you have given, it is not for lack of effort. You, at this moment, you have not slept in days. You have given this every ounce of effort that you can do. You are just not qualified to be here. You know, you should be playing t-ball. You're in the MLB All-Star Game, and Randy Johnson's throwing 100-mile-per-hour fastballs by you. Just say, call a training timeout, say this was a big mistake, and exit uh, with your head. Birds are exploding everywhere. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, I I, I can't say that you never think about quitting, right? But I never actually, like, I think... I've thought about quitting when I was at IOC or BRC probably plenty of times, but it never actually became like a, a thought that might manifest into a reality. Mm-hmm. It's never once that I actually think those words would come out of my mouth. And for the first time I was like, it's, it's time to, you, you don't, ha- I, I remember they had a coffee shop in the Georgetown library called midnight mug. And I had been getting coffee all night. And right before it closed that, you know, 1159, I'm like, Hey, I need a, uh, a nitro cold brew with two shots of espresso and the and the <laughs> girl working the counter is like i don't think that's healthy and i'm like look lady i'm not asking for your medical advice yeah. give me the coffee and uh and, and but i was at a point in my life where i now understand that it is through the struggle that we make the meaning right and that anything worth anything you have to kind of do the hard work and that i wanted to be here because i wanted to open my aperture and i wanted the challenge that's why i i I wanted to get to georgetown i wanted to do these things and so while i theoretically knew that like when this is over you will feel like you've had a ton of growth outside your comfort zone and you you'll be so appreciative of this journey but so even though i know that at this phase in my life there was nothing that night in the library that i could be like don't worry tom this is going to be great when you finish it's like you don't know what you're doing for an assignment that's due tomorrow that you've literally spent uh two weeks on it and fortunately what i did is i i know how to attack objectives is build good teams and uh you know working in fire teams and squads and platoons i but the thing is no one wants to hang out with a 34 year old veteran who's old and white and lame 
and doesn't know about the poetry that they know about or and so i knew like i had to go invest in them and try to be a good dude and make friends with them and so you know i built a fire team of people who were zero percent like me right like one of my one of my good buddies there she went uh santa clara and california she's from portland and anti-military you know my (laughs) other good buddy ian a little gay guy from oklahoma became my best battle buddy throughout and still one of my best friends and so like i had to go to these people who were not like me and i had to say hey i'd like to be on your team uh and uh i had to just be a really good dude and and fortunately some people came came alongside me and and helped me uh you know get through that time and that's awesome then yeah it's kind of like those like '90s Disney movies where like the dumb jock like has to make friends with the smart kids. <laughs> yes, except I'm not like yeah. I'm. I'm just dumb. I'm just not a jock. I'm just I'm just a dumb guy. And uh, um, I was very fortunate to meet some really great people who really uh, helped carry me uh, through that program. And uh, yeah, I showed up to Naval Academy. Still didn't know anything about the Naval Academy. Got lost around campus. Okay, can we? Can we talk a little bit about this uh, master's program? Was it in, is it specifically in writing or creative writing literature? Or what, what is it in? I have an MA in English. In English. Okay. Because um, we've had multiple people recently reach out about getting uh, graduate degrees of whatever sorts, but more specifically in English literature, writing, or anything. I'm currently working on my MFA in creative writing, and it. I like this. I'm in a similar boat of you. Is like this is a foreign language to me. I played sports yeah. all growing up. I I enjoyed math and science. I was a medic. Um, so like English, history, anything like that in high school, like I didn't see the value in it at all. I was like, well, why do I care what the differences and the, the similarities between this book and this book are? Like it, it means nothing until you realize the stories that are being told generationally hold value because they usually mirror the current reality the past and what's to come you know and so uh these a little anti-military girls or or gay guys like they they live in this whole world that's enveloped in all that and they're experts in it and and i'm seeing it just within my classes and uh it's extremely humbling whenever we have to come back with a workshop essay and I submit something and it gets torn apart by these people. And then whenever I read something, I'm like, this is great. <laughs> I have nothing else to expand on. So like, can you, can you touch a little bit more on your, your journey within this, this master's program, what other people could expect with that? Yeah. I mean, one, I agree the humanities, uh, you know, it's about being human and it's about mm-hmm. the human experience. And so what I, what I ended up doing my capstone project and, and it kind of really ties back to exactly what you're saying is, is I wanted to study trauma narrative. And, you know, I, when I got back from staying in, all these veterans were like really crying out for help on social media. And these really kind of badass guys were like, please don't light fireworks in my driveway or something. And I'm like, wait, what is going on? And, and I just didn't understand. I didn't understand what was going on. And uh, I think no one really know, knew how to, this veterans victim narrative was, just pervasive and it didn't feel right to me and i wanted to find a 
where is this started? How is this hard? How do how how have veterans come home in the past? And how do we make sense of war and combat and trauma? And so I initially kind of started with uh, I'm going to trace the arc from Homer to American Sniper. That's what I wanted to do. And then, uh, fortunately, I had a very smart professor tell me you probably don't want to try to trace the arc from Homer to American Sniper. But I do still say blame Homer, right? I still say this is Homer's fault because. Homer gives us two warrior archetypes. He gives us the Achilles. You go to you go to combat and you become psycho. You go berserk, right? And then you or he gives us Odysseus. You go to combat and you can't come home, right? Odysseus, mm-hmm. Odysseus has his, and those are the two archetypes that have stuck. And uh, so you know, Chris Kyle is on the phone in American Sniper and he calls his wife and says, "Where are you, honey?" And he's like, "I'm in a bar." And she's like, "Wait, you're home?" And he's like, "Yeah." She's like, "Well, Chris, come home." And well, he can't come home, right? He's still Odysseus at 3,000 years later. And so, uh, but what I focused on is kind of the Vietnam literature aspect and, and film. And so you'll find it in uh, Matterhorn, Fields of Fire. Um, O'Brien has the, storm, the story of Norman Bacher uh, when, and uh, the things they carried when he's driving around his home. And he, and he, I don't know if you're familiar with that story. Oh, yes. they carried. Speak, speaking of courage. Yeah, he can't. He can't. He's, he can't come home, right? He has to just keep driving around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we can get all those, I think, from the Vietnam literature. So that's where I focus my study is is in Vietnam literature and film. Rambo, like, I used to be able to drive a tank, and now I can't do shit. Now that I'm home, right? And it's like, it's just this. It's just this whole idea. Or you can go look look at Platoon, look at uh, Apocalypse Now, and it's all people going berserk, right? So it's still all the same trope same kind of uh that arc i think started and so i said how can i elevate the narrative and that's when i started to research other veterans what's what's out there who's who's having this discourse out there and i looked up dead reckoning in 2018 i didn't know anything about you guys but you're (laughs) but you are in my literature review and i say uh as well be careful uh (laughs) I say the Dead Reckoning Collective podcast in mission, but not execution aligns with the topic and form that I'd like to talk about. They loudly declare, because you type it in all caps, um, our primary mission is to shine a light on veterans living well. The subjects of our audio case files range from our owners of top earning corporations, the guys who get up early to cook their kids a balanced breakfast before school. Okay, you guys know your whole mission there, right? And I cite deadreckoning.com. I say, while their stories about combat consists of two guys shooting the shit they remain there still remains a critical gap to form communities through story to elevate the collective narrative about veterans in combat and basically i said because i listened to one podcast and i and it's interesting keith sent me the instructions no ice in your glass and it was you guys talking to someone and there was, <laughs> you could hear the ice rolling around and rattle around the gas and i'm like these guys they're chumps uh, uh yeah and, uh, <laughs> that was their very first podcast yeah yeah we were and, chumps, uh, still chumps. And, you know, we're still just dumb guys too. <laughs> um, but uh, so what I started to do for to kind of fulfill my capstone is I started to do open mic night uh, for veteran storytelling, and so I'd go to shop, uh, coffee shops, bars, and I would say like, "I'm a veteran, and while I have wounds, I am not defined by my wounds." And I have scars, but my scars tell a story. And I want to say there's more to this story and there's more to uh, the veterans coming home. And look, you know, we had this 
the New York Times between 2003 and 2015, 97% of the articles about veterans were about veterans being damaged, some kind of PTSD, some kind of, and I said, there's, there's, this is not it. There's, there's gotta be more. And I found that veterans were culpable for part of this narrative and then society, you know, and the media were also responsible. And I said, I'll do it at a local level. I'm going to go out and talk to 12 people at a, at an open mic. And I'm going to talk about how I'm grateful for my experiences and that I've had post-traumatic growth. And let's talk about that. And, uh, that started with my kill zone page is, is, is was that, that's why I started it. It's just to elevate the narrative, um, around veterans and combat and, and, and to help bring us home and, and try to portray an image that isn't solely of harm and damage. And, uh, so I'm so grateful for the opportunity while I was at grad school. Um, but you know, what, 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 what's the benefit of this? It's, it's, it's opened my aperture to a whole new world. I now have lenses to see the world that I never had prior to studying, uh, getting my master's in English and studying in humanities. I, you know, uh, Keith talked about earlier, just how the military, especially when you start, it's just, you, you only speak in acronyms. We don't reward full sentences like it's the dumber and plainer you could say it is the better option. And so when I started writing, everyone would say, like, you need to say more here. I'm like, what do you mean I need to say more here? I said what I said and you should know what I said. And it's like always, always in the margin. Say more here. Can you tell us more here? And I didn't understand how people could need me to say, I gave you a mission type order. Destroy the bridge in order to deny the enemy to get do the resupply you got what i said what it needed to be said um but literature it gives you these lenses to to look at the world in a way that you never would have the opportunity to personally whether that's through looking like you know you could read matterhorn and you start to feel these racial tensions in the platoon and he does and he does an incredible job marlin does an incredible job of like expressing kind of both sentiments and feelings in the platoon between the black and the white marines and it's like you know uh or um is it call me by your name you know one of my be- my best buddies uh his thesis was on 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 that um novel and subsequent book and uh getting an opportunity to look at stuff that struggles that people would have that i i've never experienced yeah. you know it was and i tell the, the mids all say like, well, what can I do right now to prepare myself to, to be a good Marine officer? And I said, like, you could read because you're going to get, and Mattis says like, I never found myself flat footed. Right. He said, no matter where I've been, no matter what I've been doing, I've never found myself flat footed because, I, because of his reading. And so you want to know what it's like to be a combat leader, read Matterhorn. Mellis is you're going to know, you want to know what it's like to be in a fight. Read Fields of Fire. And by the way, put on your flak and Kevlar before you do, because you're going into the shit. And so, uh, you know, literature just gives you wings and opportunities to walk paths and, and have these experiences that you really wouldn't ever be able to have. And then writing is where we make the meaning. So the reading, you know, I always say like Professor Stowe in my Asian American literature class, she taught me to read. I said I didn't know how to read till 34. She, I learned how to do close reading at 34. Very embarrassing. I'm a teacher of literature, right? And I learned how to read at 34 because I didn't know that I always read it very superficially, like as an entertainment kind of thing. I never knew that like an author, 
you can you can be an archaeologist and you can excavate that text mm-hmm. and find and, and so um as i learned how to read i then started to think about how to write and so writing makes that that those thoughts in your mind you have to turn them and process them and, and digest them internalize them and make meaning of them and so i started to write a lot and i don't write well um and i'm very uh self-conscious about my writing but it did finally give me uh, a medium to start to make meaning of my experiences and so whether it was the first guy who i saw killed in action last couple Randy briggs i remember the day that the second platoon called me for QRF because they needed us to come out and help uh, get this guy back. He's just, he was a six foot four, 250 pound black Lance Corporal Marine, huge guy, saw gunner. And I watched second platoon carrying him through a canal. And I watched them trying this. I watched a funeral possession and I watched them try to maintain some dignity. The pallbearers essentially try to maintain this dignity of honor of their friend while they went through this deep canal and were sliding back down into it as they kept trying to come up, but they were falling back into the canal and they were almost dropping his body in the canal. And he was kind of the color of the canal and the mud and the dirt and the water. And it's my, you know, I've seen dead people before, but I've never seen someone like something like this. And so, uh, I, it wasn't until I wrote about that experience that I, was able to kind of finally process it a little bit, I think. And so I think writing for me, at least, um, you know, has really helped me make meaning of, of, of things. Oh yeah. Do you think there's times that, so like one one of the easiest books to associate this with is man's search, search for meaning with uh, Victor Frankl. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you think that there's times that we attach meaning to too many things? Uh, like I catch myself now with doing a lot of my workshops and extra reading assignments. And when you start really going down the the, the literature wormhole, wormhole and uh, and really diving into to everything. And then like now at work, I'm like analyzing people's actions so I can use it as like character development and uh in how i want to associate it with it within my own writing do you think that you can almost uh go too deep i guess yes uh it's interesting you say that i literally recommended that book today to one of one of my best mids uh, her name's logan book oh it's an amazing she, she's a uh so logan book just so coincidentally her name last name's book she uh the, the mids are going to find out tomorrow what service community they're going to so the first class the seniors of the naval academy are going to find out if they're going to be marines or submariners or swos so they're all stressed and anxious about that and what they're really kind of all stressed and anxious about right now is that they got put back into rom and so they're they can't leave the room so they're all feeling like prisoner yeah and uh they've been kind of this narrative is very pervasive right now around the naval academy where they're like they think they're in 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 prison and and I wanted, and I told her, you know, maybe you, I could recommend that you read something that might help you have some perspective. Yeah, yeah. Somebody is pretty. That's a great one. Uh, so I actually recommended Man Search for Me today. Um, what a great one. Uh, yeah, to answer your question, yeah. So what I was always so frustrated when I was sitting in class is we would be looking at a passage and the professor would be like, okay, like, well, let's take a, do a close reading of this passage. 
And then someone would say, well, when I read the passage, I see this. And then the next person would be like, well, when I see the passage, I see this. And it's like, all the answers are correct. And I'm like, no, all the answers can't be correct. Like <laughs> there has to be. Yeah. That was so, my, that was my issue with literature growing up. And so we would, we, I would have to write a 12 page paper on a sentence. And I'm like, uh, what? And, and, and so when we would do these close readings, we would spend 30, 45 minutes of discussion on a single passage. I'd like, what we got to push we like here's what they meant we got to push what do you mean we're still here 30 minutes later move on we're talking about the comma like who fucking cares why the comma is here we gotta go like i could tell you you want to know what it means this is what it means time to push and uh but yeah so when when you find yourself attaching meaning to like why is there an extra space in this sentence what could that signify it's like Mm. oh god i don't know but uh (laughs) so yeah i think um that is a blessing and a curse once you have your mind Mm -hmm. kind of trained like that that you can find meaning in places or have deeper meanings of things but also you might go down that rabbit hole like you said and uh but i'm still like i am a guy who who hasn't evolved much from my lieutenant version myself where I'm like, I make a decision. I'm like, all right. And so I, I yeah, you're I still think, Marine first. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, one it's year hard tra- to, it's hard to shake you from that or. Yeah. Well, I have one year of training, uh, as a academic English guy and I have 12 years of training as a grunt. Yeah. Um, so that's why it was so important for me to do this is because I, I really, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail and that's the only way I could view the world. And so I am so grateful that I've had the opportunity to open the aperture and, and, and see the world in different ways. And teaching has been absolutely just, uh, incredible to walk people through these texts. It's been really just a super, super rewarding experience over the last few years. Um, you know, I, I was a Marine Corps major and my, I did a study abroad right before I graduated Georgetown. And I was in London watching A Midsummer's Night Dream in the park, getting paid as an infantry major. And I'm just like, this is, doesn't, you know, really does not get, like, this is, I could have never in a million years said that when you're, when you're a major, you'll be at a Georgetown study abroad program in London watching a midsummer night dream and someone's gonna be paying you to do that. And, uh, you know, I got to go to Paris while I was in grad school and, and go to some conferences there. I got to go to Moscow, uh, with Stanford while I was in grad school. It's just really kind of really incredible opportunities that I could not in a million years have imagined. And I could not have imagined that I would be emailing back and forth with Carl Marlantis, you know, uh, and then I, I FaceTime with Carl Marlantis one day and he's showing me around his house and he says, Hey, I'm talking to your class for free. So I'm going to, you're going to pay by listening to my ego and I'm going to show you all this wood that I chopped. <laughs> and like, you know, this guy that That's I idolize awesome. is like, they like, look at all this wood I chopped today. And like, uh, or, or, um, you know, Stephen, yeah, I remember when you did the board, when, when you did the board and, uh, you called, Carl, um, and you told him you were <laughs> you were doing your uh, your masters in uh, 
in, in literature, and he was like, he was like, holy shit, the Marine Corps is paying for that. <laughs> that was that those fifty minutes that he and that class were some of the. I mean, that was some of the best fifty minutes of my life. Like I yeah. was furiously taking notes, and like every and and you know that's the thing about being a lifelong student is that every time you think you know anything, you just, you know, I've been teaching this novel for, you know, the last six weeks and Marlantis comes in and I'm like, Oh my God, I don't know anything. And, uh, he's literally blowing my mind every second. And I'm like, uh, just absolutely in- incredible. And then, you know, getting, although if you, I listen, I just, I just listened to, uh, his podcast with, uh, I think his veteran state of mind. And they got into some really weird stuff, uh, very weird stuff about it was all about reincarnation. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad that we we avoided that. Uh, got Pressfield, got I'm teaching Gates of Fire. I got Pressfield coming in talking Gates of Fire. So I'm nice. emailing back and forth with Tim O'Brien right now, uh, trying to get hit. well, he's agreed to talk. I just have to find the money. He's he wants three thousand dollars, and it's amazing that in the defense budget there's not three thousand dollars but if there apparently is not uh so i'm trying to figure out how i'm going to get dave tim o'brien to uh come talk i just have my students read uh the things they carried and uh i emailed being west today actually and um talking about him coming in to talk about the village maybe next semester and so yeah these, these opportunities have just been i could not even two years ago i could not have ever imagined uh this this kind of stuff happening and it's been amazing it's been great so what's this semester actually look like for you like i know the hot topic right now is trying to teach uh all your students are in prison due to covid and everything but what what is the actual curriculum look like yeah we started virtually so the midshipmen went home last spring break last march and then they didn't come back uh until the fall. And so I taught all of last spring semester or half of last spring semester virtual. And then we started for about a month virtual. Uh, we finally transitioned to I'm teaching the class. It's a pain in the ass because I can only have 10 students in each class and I have 20 student classes. So half mm-hmm. my students are watching me online, literally in the next room. So it's a little bit weird. Um, I teach outside whenever I can, because I can, when I teach outside, I can uh, have all 20 of them. In the, in the same spot um but yeah then we went back into lockdown and now i'm back to teaching virtual but now they're saying that we're going to be able to start teaching in person again so it's been for me i'm a guy i like being in the trenches you know for me teaching is you know all the world's a stage right and teaching is a performance and especially these students of naval academy are so sleep deprived that you have to put on I always say when the students write their opinion forms on my class, the highest compliment that I receive is that that the highest praise you can receive as an instructor at the Naval Academy or professor at the Naval Academy is I couldn't fall asleep in X's class, right? They all say I couldn't fall asleep in Major Schumann's class. And to me, that's the highest form of praise. And mm-hmm. and that's because I'm very I'm in it. I'm in it's like I when I start every class, I'm condition one, fixed bayonet, that I'm in. And uh and so it's been difficult to sit you know and talk through a computer screen but yeah. uh you know one of the acronyms i tell all the junior officers is fitfo you know figure the fuck out you know just make it happen and so i could sit here and 
lament about all the things that aren't in my control or I'll just uh, fight with a happy heart and be a cheerful leader and if I don't find a way to make it work and okay. that's where I've, that's where I've been at so what's uh good what's the what's the plan from here so how many more years do you are you teaching and and what does it look like after this yeah so this is it uh for the naval academy uh spring semester will be my last semester i'll teach two sections of literature of war which is an upperclassman elective and then um i'll teach a, a section of i teach i normally what i teach my teaching load is two sections of the freshman core english class which is a literature and composition class and then i get to teach an elective and uh so this semester i'm actually teaching a class that i designed called reimagining vietnam which has been a lot of fun but i've already taught literature of war and i'll teach that, teach that again in the spring and so this spring i'll teach two classes well all the classes i'm teaching in the spring are classes i've already taught and which is so unfortunate because every time i teach a class i make significant revisions and it's much better yeah. and i'm and i'm at a place where i know what the fuck i'm doing i'm actually hitting my stride and then just like anything else it's like okay now it's time to go mm. uh so um uh i think there's a high potential i get elected to go to professional military education so at every rank as an officer and enlisted you have to um do some type of pme we call it and so i think i'll end up at man of staff down at Quantico, I think there's a high probability. Otherwise, I'll uh, the natural career progression would be be a battalion executive officer. So go back to the fleet, be a battalion XO, uh, potentially going to PME. I wanted to do. I I very much missed the heat of the battle, so I really tried to make some moves. But you know, no one wants a 34 year old major to come hang out with them, and uh, so I. I've tried to send in some favors and I went and called one of my old battalion commanders who's a general now. And then he called my boss and told my boss to tell me, Tom thinks he's going to, uh, you need to tell Tom that his days of shooting people on motorcycles are over. Uh, and, but I still, in my mind, I'm trying to find a way back to that. Um, and if I could find my way into something like that, I would, I would take it in a heartbeat. Um, but I, you know, I'm I'm just too senior for a lot of that kind of stuff at this point. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'll probably be a battalion XO. The most likely course of action is I'll be a battalion XO for an infantry unit um, next, and I'll move this, and I'm going to move this summer. So I'm either going to go down to Quantico for a year long of education, or I'm going to go to an infantry battalion and be an XO. Which it's it's fine. Either either way is fine, and uh, they're called orders, not options. And I've I am the Marine Corps unicorn. I've gotten every job I've wanted. I'm the worst example. People ask me like, what, what's the Marine Corps like? And I say, I'm a bad example because I've gotten everything I wanted. And, uh, you know, at this point, 13 years in, I'm just, whatever the Marine Corps takes, gives me, I'll take it and I'll make the best of it. So, Yeah, man. That's, Are you kind of awesome planning on retirement now too? Like, do you think teaching is something you would do post, uh, post Marine Corps? I love teaching. I absolutely love teaching. I just think that I'm teaching leadership and literature, and I don't yeah. know how big of a market. If I tried to teach this, you know, the way that I teach at the Naval Academy, if I was teaching anywhere else, people would be like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, so I, I was actually trying to do a, a PhD program paid by the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps, the Commandant sends two active duty majors or lieutenant colonels to go get their PhDs um, every year. I wanted to do that. My boss 
didn't want me to do that uh, because it was bad for my career timing. I didn't really care about my career timing. He did. Uh, and I acquiesced. And so um, I don't know if I'll, uh, I, I, I love teaching. I don't love academia necessarily. And uh, yeah. so we'll, we'll see. Um, as far as retirement, I guess that's a good segue for what I'm working on right now. And that's, uh, I would love yeah. to do patrol base Abate is what I'd, uh, I'd like to do full time soon as I can. So yeah, dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, first and foremost, uh, Sergeant Matt Abate was, um, a scout sniper who worked with Kilo three, five. He worked with my platoon a lot. Um, and uh he I, I say he's the modern day Achilles. Um he was the lion of the battlefield. I just feel like any way I try to describe him is like very uh pissy almost and it just doesn't do him justice. But I posted a clip yesterday about some of the uh Logan Stark from Black Rifle. Yeah. A sniper with with him and he did the four What was the 20- his documentary called that he yeah, did? For the twenty five. Yes. And so there's a segment in For the 25 where people are kind of describing what Matt meant to them. And at one point, Logan asked one of the guys, if there's one person dead or alive, uh, past, present, fiction or nonfiction, that could jump out of your birthday cake, who would it be? And, and one of my snipers, uh, Jordan Laird, said, Matt, Matt Abate. And he said, well, why? He said, uh, because he's the best man that I've ever known. Yeah. And they go through and it kind of cuts the different members of the the sniper team to kind of just talk about Matt and, you know, Logan describes Matt as, uh, every girl wanted to be with him and every guy wanted to be him. Uh, he, he's larger than life. But the thing is, is he was so badass. Uh, he was like, you guys think he's like John Lennon, right? He was like the rock star. Like he, every Marine just gravitated, wanted to be in near around, Matt. Um, and you know, unfortunately, the reality is within the infantry tunes, like you have more popular, less popular Marines. And but the thing with Matt is here he is, the the rock star, and he would he was so humble, he would still give every Marine equal kind of time and attention. He's just such a good dude. But then like he's flame tattoos all up and down his arms, like rides a Harley, right? But he's like, but he's still so kind and so humble. And uh, maybe I can just tell one or two stories that are emblematic of kind of the kind of warrior he was. We we when we would get ambushed, um, so the northern green zone in Sangin was a series of kind of farm fields broken up by canals, and each canal kind of had a tree line in it. And the Taliban didn't want to fight us close in because they knew that would be bad uh, for them, and so they would always kind of start firing at us uh, from from one. Uh, one tree line away with the intervening tree line. And so one day Matt tells me, sir, you know, you got to let me just uh, go in the tree line by myself. And that way, when, when they kind of form up, I'll be there. And I'm like, by yourself. And he's like, yeah, I got to move by myself because if you guys move with me, they'll see me. And, uh, Lieutenant Schumann took a lot of risks and this was one of the, the risks that he assumed. And that day, all you heard is a suppressed sniper rifle just putting in work. And um, I could tell you some 
stories about that day offline, but uh, he killed a lot of people that day. And he killed a lot of people <laughs> a lot of days. Um, but, uh, you know, anytime, again, I, I'm, I'm aggressive to a fault. And so I always want to push. And so I would be like, hey, who wants to cross the Hellman River with me? I think there's some bad guys. We should go get them. And everyone's like, you're fucking crazy. You are not crossing the river. And then Matt would be like, sure, I'll go. And I'm like, and then everyone else like, well, if Matt's going to go, yeah, we'll, we'll go. Like, it's like, and so like, it was, uh, I mean, just, uh, just an incredible, uh, warrior man, uh, father, uh, he's, he, he's got a son. And, and so, uh, he, to me, I believe was the greatest warrior, uh, if not one of the greatest warriors to grace the, the battlefield during the global war on terror, but not only during the global war on terror, but I think, you know, you could put him on any battlefield and he's the Dan Daly's, right. He's the, uh, and so, um, we need to honor his legacy. And, uh, so I wanted to do that. And then again, the thing that I think about a lot is veterans mental health. You know, I just had one of my Marines within the last, uh, six months, um, overdose corporal Justin McLeod. He was a triple amputee and, uh, Corporal McLeod, before we deployed, um, was going to EAS, and he came up to me and said, "Hey, son, I just had. Hey, hey sir, I just had a son. I'm going to EAS." And I said, "Hey, McLeod, I need you to extend because you're one of the best shots in the platoon, and you're the best land nav guy in the platoon. But do what's best for your family." And he comes back a couple of days later, says, "Sir, I'll extend for the deployment." A uh, couple months later, Corporal McLeod is blown up, and uh, my engineer, Corporal Spivey stepped on a pressure plate and McLeod was over the charge and they both got hit by end up losing his arm. And I, uh, as I moved towards where McLeod was injured, one of my Marines came up to me, Lance Corporal Teague and handed me McLeod's fingers. And I'm looking at McLeod and I see that he has no arm and, uh, no legs. And I think, and I just say, well, thanks Teague. And I'm like, well, what the fuck am I going to do with these fingers? Uh, and um, I ditch the fingers and I go up to McLeod and I have one of the hardest conversations I ever have because he's, he's dying. He's flatlining. And, I, and, I, and McLeod, uh, before he enlisted, uh, had college baseball scholarships and played some college baseball. And, and I'm trying to talk to McLeod about how he's got to find the will to live because he's going to teach his son how to throw a baseball someday he's going to coach his son's baseball team and i'm thinking he'll never throw a baseball and uh obviously feeling a lot of responsibility for him being there and um uh but he did find the will to live in that moment he he was dying 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 and i and i saw it as as i as i talked to him about his son i saw something click and i and i and i talked to people about the will to live and how you know it is really incredibly powerful the will to live i mean if you step on an ant and it's half and it's still half there like the ant is struggling to live like now just imagine you know the human will to live is 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 a super powerful thing and uh unfortunately you know he kind of lost that homecoming battle recently and um and unfortunately that's not a unique story and so i want i i I, again while i was at georgetown i read a ton of the literature and all the literature the 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 primary source for that literature is Jonathan Shea. And so Jonathan Shea 
was a psychologist with the VA and he worked with all the Vietnam veterans. And what Shea will tell you in, in two different books that he wrote, Achilles in Vietnam and, and Odysseus in America about homecoming, is that the number one thing that veterans need is community. Yeah. And so I said, we need, like, if that's it, if that's the solution, then let's, uh, let's, let's find a way. And, and right now, the, 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 the main effort or the priority are the wounded guys, the gold star families and special forces. And I think good, those should be the priority, right? I think the wounded, the gold star families and, 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 and the soft guys should be the priority. But if you look at the statistics, veterans are killing themselves at almost two times the rate that uh, an average citizen is. And, and, and non-combat veterans and combat veterans are killing themselves essentially with equal, you know, uh, and so uh, I, I wanted to say, like, how can I build something that's inclusive? I want to build something that if you raise your right hand and you are honorably discharged, this place is for you. And uh, and so I think that's where Chobe Sabate is, is a little bit unique, is that it's it's the, the only qual it's, it's 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 all encompassing. It's inclusive. And it just says, if you serve, we have a place for you. and. I wanted to build that community in three ways. So I, I, uh, we've got a cabin and a couple hundred acres up in Montana that will do physical retreats. Um, and I wanted to use kind of like the club model. So like building communities within common interest groups. So do you like lifting weights? Okay. We got PB Abate strength club. Do you like shooting guns? We got PB Abate gun club. Do you like, uh, UFC and jujitsu? We got PB Abate fight club. Do you like reading, writing? We got PB Abate book club. Now extrapolate that across any interest that veterans might have: yoga, art, music, you know, outdoors, mountain biking. We'll we'll just make a club for you, and so that for you and you can hang out. And and what we'll do is we'll bring you out to Patrol Base Abate. We'll have a subject matter expert in that field uh, out there, and we'll do a retreat for for the weekend out there. And so, uh, it'll be free of cost, and you just show up, and uh, we'll we'll have and. So have creating, I wanted to create a physical space. There is a physical, it's not a theoretical, there is a physical space now for, for all veterans. It's patrol base Abate. It's a place on the ground, on the map, on the deck. And, yeah. uh, and you can reenter friendly lines there and, um, you could return to base there. And, um, so that's one of the kind of ways that we'll do that community. The two other ways we'll do communities. We'll, we'll so much of community is online as we're tracking now. And so, um, so if you're, mar- if you're part of the PB Abate fight club, let's have a discord channel where we have, you know, weekly, monthly kind of musters or roll calls where everyone kind of gets online, is able to chat, do their thing. And so you, if you don't, if you neglect the online community aspect, I think you, you're missing like a significant way that uh, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever you want to call it, like in 2020 people meet are, are online. So go to where they are. And so if I can create, community spaces online for the respective clubs um, we're going to do that through some discord channels and then finally i wanted to do uh in in your communities and so uh actual physical local communities so every kind of major city will have its own pb abate club whether it's atlanta uh san diego baltimore and so and those community local community clubs will be uh service oriented it's a little bit different than the vfw where you just kind of meet the drink a beer you i want and i hope you do that i hope you do drink beers with the people that are within your local if you're in pb abate baltimore 
I hope that you guys do meet for beers, but I also want you guys to get back out and serve, right? Because mm-hmm. if anytime you've gone to a soup kitchen, every time you've done any service project thing, at the end of it, you, you while you're doing it, you completely kind of forget about whatever worries you have and right and, and so you get lost in that service. And so and I want to incentivize that because I think uh, that'll be and so how I'm gonna incentivize doing the local community kind of service project is if you sign up for PB about the uh, fight club. You have one raffle ticket. Okay. And in the springtime, we'll do some kind of randomized lottery and we'll select, you know, 12 people for the first PB about fight club retreat out of Montana. The only way you can increase your odds of getting out. So that's very equitable. Everyone just has one ticket, you know, and you don't, and all you have to do is just sign up and have honorably served and, and now you are eligible to kind of come out at a free of cost retreat and to do the shit that you like to do um if you do if you participate in your local uh chapter and you do some community service based operations what we'll do is we'll, we'll throw in an extra raffle ticket and you know if you do a couple projects hmm. we'll throw in that. and so like you can increase your odds through service to others and so it's awesome um and i'm hoping to get you know, some big partnerships. Uh, so I'm looking at like an LPOP model. And so uh, listening post, observation post uh, model so that the the amount of bandwidth that we can take throughout the summer at uh, the physical cabin will be pretty limited. You know, we'll do a retreat every weekend throughout the summers. The first summer, 2021, we're just going to try to do four. Next summer, we'll try to do one every weekend for the duration of the summer. But I, I anticipate that by creating a, something that, everybody who served can go to that there'll be a very high demand uh uh very you know and, and the supply will be limited and so hopefully through partnership you know uh if if you if if you run a ufc gym or if you run a crossfit uh gym and you want to take uh you can host a pb about retreat and i'll pay for everyone to go out there we'll pay for everyone to go out there we'll pay to put them up and then you kind of host that at it and so yeah. Looking at like an LPOP model, um, where or you know, like for example, PB about the hunting club, right? So like there are lots of other nonprofits that do hunting and fishing. So if you if we could partner with you, we'll send you a squad of PB Abate, we'll pay for them to get out there. And so uh, that that I think is gonna increase the throughput or um for everyone to kind of get a shot to kind of gather in community and get out there and uh so has this actually started or is this all conceptual right now? Oh, it launched today. Yeah. Yeah, I about to say I remember yeah, seeing a video. So it's on. It's a website now. Yep, it's a website. It's an Instagram. It's a Discord channel, and uh, it's been. You know, I'm still obviously. This is not my. It's, it's something that I'm doing in my spare time, and uh, but I've been really surrounded by an incredible group of people who I just sent out initial feelers about it, and say, hey, here's what I, I'm trying to do, and really just incredible people have come alongside to support this and uh already it's just been you know just uh humbling to watch people already pour themselves into this into this 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 project and so yeah we we uh we launched today um and so pbabate.org and at pbabate on instagram and can you spell uh, that yep PB is in patrol base PB uh, abate a b b a t e dot org and so um, 
I anticipate the nonprofit status to be approved any day. I submitted one application, which I'm a grunt and my administrative skills suck, right? So initially they, that got rejected. I submitted a second application for the 501c3 and uh, talking to the people at the IRS every day, they think within a day or two, it's going to end up, uh, they're reviewing it and they said it's going to get approved. So uh, we are not currently a nonprofit, but I, within, I think, the, the week, um, we'll, we'll be a nonprofit and uh, we're going to offer free cost retreats for veterans to go out to Montana, go out to the cabin and, and uh, gather in community. And um, That's awesome, man. I'm pretty excited. That's excellent. Yeah, that's that's um, good stuff. It really is. It's. So uh, I think. I think that service. The, the... I was just saying. I think that oh, service sorry, is. A, no, I was just saying that that service is incredibly important to. We've always talked. Keith and I have talked about it multiple times about. Like you're, you're obviously helping service, um, servicemen out and, and service women out by doing this, but us giving back to the community is incredibly important. And I think a lot of people fail to uh, remember that. So uh, that little bit of incentive, I think, will uh, will be a good thing to. Yeah, push I don't want this forward. to be just a passive passive experience. I want you yeah. to rest, refit, and get back in the fight, right? Yep. And so yeah. uh, it's not just what can this thing do for me. It's 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 you gotta you gotta continue to serve, right? Mm-hmm. And and so you look at younger. What are we missing? You know, we're missing a tribe and a purpose. And yep. Uh, if a man has a how he can achieve any why or has a why he can achieve any how right and so let's give let's give the why and and, and get back out there and and get back in the fight and so when you think about that's why i use the patrol-based model you come in you rest you refit well your work's not done you got to get back out and get out and and get and and i'm hoping that there's a huge wave of veterans getting out and getting out into the communities doing doing the work because there's so much healing as you know when you're when you're doing service to others and you're yeah. doing that service to others in community with other veterans i think that's that's where the magic happens yeah. i think um it's the the way that it's being done you know the reason that you're doing it the the way and the way that you're doing it i think separates it immediately from you know the other types of retreats and the other types of of organizations like it too um yeah, I mean, did you, is that something that you kind of, you and you and the others involved, like, put a lot of thought into as far as, you know, making a clear distinction that, you know, this, this is not this and, and things like that? Yeah, I mean, just like when I was in 2018 doing my research to see if there was anybody doing something that Killzone was doing, and I found Dead mm-hmm. Reckoning, and I said, those guys suck. <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just kidding, love you guys. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but y'all still no, I, suck. <laughs> yeah. Yo, uh, honestly though, you never. Sorry to interrupt. You, I never would have found that fucking paper. Like you, you sent me that like a month ago or something, yeah. and I, I never would have seen that. But you were like, hey, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was weighing heavy on your conscience or something. But <laughs> yeah, when you what. sent it to me, you, I think it was. You were just like, hey, like. I shit talked you guys in this lit review. Like, I just wanted to show you because <laughs> I, I got like a Google Google invite, and I'm like, "Fuck is this? Like, what is he sending me?" And I I wasn't sure if it was uh, more more stuff about like the PV Abate 
And then I opened it up, and it's a lit review. I was like, "Was this an accident?" And then you sent me like the the follow up message, and I was like, "Oh, motherfucker!" Like, <laughs> whatever. But like, I, I don't know, man. We we've come in contact with some some really cool people and some some really real people, um, and some people of substance, and like that that says a lot about a, a person's character. Like that you wrote that for school, and I like I said, I never would have seen it ever. Yeah, well, and then here I am two years later, and you're calling me to help me out with something, and I'm like, hey, I've got to come clean with my, I got to repent. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, but, and so I, yes, I, I did the research, right? And, and what I yeah. determined is that there's a void, that there's a critical gap here, and that there are many programs out there doing great work, but it always comes with a qualifier. Mm-hmm. You have to be a yeah. combat veteran. You have to have served in this unit. You have to have been injured. You have to have mm-hmm. been in Afghanistan at this time. And again, I'm not denigrating. I think all that work is good work. But how could I make it more inclusive? How can I? And, and I want to cast a wide net. And because the, 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 what the data and what the literature would suggest is it's not only people who've been to combat that are struggling. It's, it's you, you know, I talk about this. It's you, when you're a veteran, like, you have a billet and your billet is machine gunner. And so whether you de- went to a- a combat or not, at one point you were somebody who really mattered in the unit. Other people were depending on you and you felt significant in that, in, in that role, in that billet. And then now you're just playing Tom again. Right. And you're just, and it's like, no one cares, you know? And, uh, and so you, the, the military issues you a community and a purpose. Here is your squad, and here is your mission. And uh, it's no wonder why so many people struggle when they transition, because it's like, for four years, I had a really meaningful community uh, where we're all willing to literally die for one another, and now I'm in a very kind of individualistic, selfish society, and I don't really feel purposeful. And so um, how do we capture uh, all those veterans. And, and again, so I, I, yeah, so when I started my research into this, like I didn't, well, I didn't, if there was something out there doing it, filling that, filling that niche, I was like, I'm not, you know, good. Uh, I'm, I'm happy. And I would just find a way to support yeah. that. But, but what my research kept telling me is that gold star wounded soft combat deployment, combat deployment to specific things, specific unit. And I just said, you know, this it's too big of a problem to kind of narrow it down like that. And, Again, like I said, I like to shoot my shot. And I said, look, let's make this, let's take them all in. There's, fuck it. We'll take everybody. You know, you got honorable, yeah. you're, you're active duty. You got honorable discharge. You, you're, you're, you're on the team. You're in the community. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I did not, when I, after my doing due diligence and research, I felt like there was a, a void and there was a gap here that I'm hoping that we're filling. Oh, yeah. Totally I think are. in the, in the charity nonprofit sector in general, like you were saying, um, you know, our, our friend Jericho Demon talked about it a while back. Uh, I think it might've been when we had him on the podcast, but, or maybe just in a conversation that we had, but like, uh, you made the same point, you know, there's, there's a lot of, and, and there should be, there's, there's a need for it. There, there should be soft charities. There should be, you know, gold star charities and stuff. But like, you know, uh, I think the point he made was because he worked on uh, the long, the long road home or the long way home um, about like the first calf guys mm-hmm. in Sauter City. Like nobody gives a shit about those guys because they're, you know, they're not special. And like that, you know, there's all these different foundations 
for, for regular guys and stuff like that. And it's, you know, nobody really pays attention because it's, it's not as, as sexy. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that inclusive model is like, is really, really on point. Yeah. Can you, uh, what's that? That's the hope. Yeah. Can you let everybody know where, uh, they can find you on all the social medias and interwebs? Yep. So I, now I, 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 uh, I feel like the, the veteran is victim narrative has been self-correcting. I think the veteran community has policed itself over the last couple of years where, you know, while that was my initial kind of reason that I started kill zone is to kind of elevate that narrative, help veterans be more resilient and help recover. Um, now I, I kind of write a lot about leadership and literature. And, uh, so that's, I'm, I'm, I'm at kill zone, K I L L dot Z zero N three. So I got to put the little O three reference in there. So, uh, but you know, I n- not, nothing to me matters now in, in comparison to kind of what I'm doing or what we're doing with, with Patrol Base Abate. And so, PB Abate um, on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, pbabate.org, and uh, that's uh, where I hope uh, we can meet. And I hope uh, that's where I I hope it's my life's work is is providing community for veterans and honor honoring that abate that would be a, a, a life well spent in my opinion absolutely any last words i appreciate you guys having me on uh you guys don't suck and uh <laughs> it's been uh it's been uh, a great opportunity i appreciate it, guys good to you yeah i appreciate you brother uh, the biggest I, I think the biggest misperception is that somehow we're damning Nothing, nothing really can stop us.